Blog Talk Radio. Grace and Peace, Heart to Heart, encourages women from all stations of life and from every nook and cranny of our world from a biblical perspective. Hello, 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 and welcome. As usual, I am glad to be here. This is Zenobia Bailey, and I welcome you to Grace and Peace, Heart to Heart. I don't know what kind of a week you've had so far, but why don't we just all just take a moment to just release any encumbrances, tensions, uh, hastiness, and prepare your heart to hear what Debbie Lacer has to say today. Before I continue, I do want to share, I have these blessing cards on my desk, and I'd like to share a thought with you. It's very, very short but very sweet. The heart of God is a bottomless abyss. Some say abyss. Filled to overflowing with compassion for you. He has compassion for you. Every individual God loves with an everlasting love and he wants none to perish so my heart is broken what do I do now this is part two and we are definitely going to have part three and possibly part four there's so much packed in this chapter. Our last segment ended with a broad sweep of the practical questions that many wives find themselves asking at the start of their discovery. Debbie Lacer leads us through a deeper examination of some of the questions that typically arise during this time that concern husbands, children, and wives themselves. So picking up, we're going to deal with questions about your spouse. New information about a spouse's betrayal is always shocking. You may feel inundated with questions about his problems and your reality. Let's look at some of the most common questions. One is, does my husband have a sexual addiction? One of the first questions most wives face is in regard to what exactly they are dealing with in terms of their husband's betrayal. In some cases, his behaviors may be indicative of a sexual addiction. The difference is that isolated incidents of sexual sin can be stopped fairly easily if there is intent to stop. 
Addiction, however, entails qualities of progression, tolerance, and an ability an inability to stop, despite a desire to do so. Addictive behavior indicates a need to mitigate painful feelings. As with alcohol or drug addiction, sexual addiction starts slowly and builds either by adding new behaviors or by increasing the involvement with a particular behavior. If masturbation was discovered at an early age, it may have been used once or twice a month. Progression then would mean that over time, masturbation might increase to once a week and then once a day. Some sex addicts masturbate multiple times a day even to the point of inflicting physical harm on themselves. In addition, since active addiction leads to intolerance, more of the actual behavior is going to be needed to create the same high over time. We know this is to be true with alcohol, where several drinks may have easily created a high when drinking first began, much more alcohol is needed to create that same feeling after months or years of chronic drinking. In much the same way, sexual thoughts and rituals create neurochemicals in the brain, such as adrenaline, dopamine, and serotonin. All of these contribute to the high that sex addicts experience and then chase. The neurochemistry of the brain adjusts to the increased levels of neurochemicals over time, and more and more sexual thought and behavior are needed to create the same euphoric feeling. Many sexual behaviors carry risk consequences. Despite the possibility of losing jobs, losing money, losing marriages, sex addicts continue to act out sexually. Many wives will say to me, I don't know how he could be so crazy as to watch pornography while sitting at his desk at work. Anyone could walk in on him. Or, didn't he think I would smell perfume on his clothes when he has been with her again and again? Or, I don't know how he could think I wouldn't see the credit card bill sooner or later. He has been charging all kinds of stuff that I would question. The behavior doesn't make sense. And that describes what the first step in the 12-step program calls unmanageability. We keep doing something despite the negative consequences that could and do occur. If you find out information about an affair, pornography use, or some other sexual acting out, your husband might quickly decide to stop what he was doing, ask for forgiveness, and agree never to do it again. If he is struggling with an addiction, however, his, his attempts to stop won't work. Mark attempted to get help in the first few years of our marriage by confessing involvement with another woman to his supervising therapist. He was told, all men struggle this way. Don't mention anything about your behavior to Deb. It will just hurt her. And don't ever do it again. 
Mark took the therapist's advice to keep his behavior a secret with all good intentions to be a faithful husband. Mary told me that her husband had had an affair during their first year of marriage. Although she was brokenhearted, they agreed to go to counseling to get help. She said that that their relationship improved after counseling, and she assumed that the problem was resolved. However, eight years later, she found him in another affair, and he confessed to having used pornography their entire married life, as well as having been involved with several other women. What appeared to have been a one-time fling was actually a full-blown addiction. Sexual addiction is also a means of coping with painful feelings. In Chapter 3, we will take a closer look at coping mechanisms and the kinds of feelings that might be medicated with sexual sin. The question becomes, should I leave or should I stay? Many women ask me if they should leave or ask their husband to leave after learning of his betrayal. Some believe the needs some believe that he needs this kind of punishment to reinforce the fact that he has done a horrible thing. Others are simply so mad they can't stand the thought of sharing the same space with him at least for a little while. Making a decision to leave because you need time to think things over or asking him to leave because you need space to sort through your pain is an example of acting out of your feelings and needs, not out of revenge. By the way, I am not a huge advocate for separation, especially when children are involved. If it is possible for both of you to take sexual betrayal seriously, it is not absolutely necessary to separate to work through your issues. As an example, she shares about Janet and Jeffrey. Janet and Jeffrey have agreed on an in-house separation because they were reacting to each other in such a toxic way that they couldn't have a conversation about anything. Everything led to an argument. Resentments were building. Sex didn't feel safe for Janet. And in fact, at times, she was concerned for her physical safety because Jeffrey's anger was escalating. After they had undergone a month of in-house separation, Mark and I met with them. They both were decidedly more serene. While they hadn't been talking much during those weeks, staying focused on living in their own space had decreased their expectations of each other. When they weren't putting as much energy into getting each other to meet expectations, they became more aware of their own feelings and needs and sought to take care of those. After that month, they were beginning to be ready to have more conversations and interaction with each other. The separation had proven to be helpful in giving them space to detoxify from the relationship for a time. Consequences. Should I create them? 
I recently talked with a woman who found her husband in bed with a colleague from work. After questioning him, she found out it wasn't the first time. Add to that her knowledge of his lifelong pornography use, and she was convinced that he had a serious problem. She told me about what he was doing and wasn't doing. She felt he was committed only marginally to recovery and wanted to know if that was normal. She expressed no emotions as she talked. She even mentioned that when she found her husband naked with the other woman, she calmly sat at the end of the bed and just talked to him about it. She didn't get angry, and she didn't demand anything. She just asked some questions. She was frustrated when the next day he went back to work with the same employee sharing his office, but she accepted his explanation that he didn't want to arouse suspicion by firing the woman. Believe it, she told me. He didn't even have any consequences after sleeping with another woman. Unfortunately, he didn't even experience the natural consequence of seeing the sadness or anger of his own wife. When Mark was fired and then publicly humiliated by front-page articles about his behavior, he and I both were in a lot of pain. At the time, I hated every minute of it. It seemed about as bad as it could get. Yet today, I can see the blessing in that total crash and burn experience. His commitment to recovery was 100%. The diagnosis of sexual addiction seemed like a terminal disease. He was going to war with this illness And in much the same way, I had my own battle to wage. Those who have few consequences will be reluctant to commit to everything that true recovery and redemption will entail. I promise I'll never do it again, you might hear. I realize I made a mistake, and I promise to change. I just don't want anyone to think I have a problem that I'm not normal. I don't want my career to be in jeopardy. And so the talking goes. It's not until a decision has been made to get out of isolation and accept personal brokenness, there will be no permanent change. Many wives I've talked with tell me they knew about prior sexual sin and believed their husband was going to stop. Thus, they did nothing more And he did nothing more. And months or years later, the behaviors returned or worsened. As a wife who has been betrayed, you create the most natural consequence out of your feelings and needs. Problems will arise if you're not in tune with your own feelings. In my case, although the pain of my circumstances led me to tears and anger, I was also capable of cutting myself off from my emotions at times. I can't tell you how many wives I've talked with who barely showed emotion when recounting their stories. The most honest consequence our spouse can experience from us is an accurate expression of how we feel. 
Many women will rage or blame or throw out threats. Others will show up with overflowing compassion and patience. But somewhere under both of those responses is a lot, a lot of sadness and grief. Those are emotions that your husband can take in. Those remind him of the precious heart he has harmed. And so on our next reading, we will plan to look at this just a little bit further in terms of how the husband deal, deals or might deal with consequences. And before leaving, I'd like to repeat once again, the heart of God is a bottomless abyss filled to an overflowing with compassion for you. Filled to overflowing with compassion for you. And I'd like to say God is not inanimate. He's not far off. We don't see him, but he's very present. And if you desire to have a personal relationship with him, tell him. Ask him to show him your, himself and to meet you where you are. And he will. The best place to find him, your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, borrow one. Get one from the library on loan. Buy one. Contact me and I'll send you one. And I bless you. Have a good evening. Have a good week. Take care until next time. Bye for now. Thank you.